0: State of Care. Hello and welcome to the State of Care podcast, episode five. This show is presented to you by myself, Leonard Tanner.
1: Hello, all, and myself, Aphra Sefer.
0: Today we have a very special guest, Joanna Grace. She's been very kind enough to spend her time with us today and share experience with us and talk about some of the amazing work she's involved in. Joanna Grace is the founder of the Sensory Projects, a TEDx speaker. A trainer as well as an author.
1: Joanna, with no further ado, we'd like to welcome you to the State A Care podcast. Thank you for coming and joining us today. Um, please, would you like to tell our listeners a bit about your journey and what you've um, experienced over the years?
2: Godness, that's a big question to open with. Thank you ever so much for having me on. Um, I have a background as a special educator, so I taught in a school for students with severe and profound special educational needs and disabilities for a good chunk of my career. But I also have family members with neurodiverse conditions and disabilities. And I've been a registered foster carer to children with complex needs. Uh, And since working at the sensory projects, and the sensory projects are very nearly 10 years old now, I've also been working in the adult care world. So I come at this from lots of different angles. And the other one is that I'm a major geek. And so I read an awful lot of research um, into the experiences of people with complex disabilities. And I use all of that knowledge to inform my practice as well and it's great to be on with you guys today.
1: Fantastic, That's it. thank you for joining us, well I'd like to start by just congratulating you on your TEDx talk, I, uh, I watched it the other day, and you know I think it was fantastic and you brought up, a, you, had, you had our minds ticking of um, quite a few questions and um, learned a few new things as well, so I think that was amazing. Um, I just wanted to start really with um, basically after seeing your TEDx talk, could you please explain more about arguing for inclusion, you know based on Um, I'm feeling pity for those uh, who communicate differently, for example you spoke of linguistic and sensory beings. Yes. I I a bit about that. Yeah.
2: well it was such an exciting thing to get to do the ted talk and it's a massive undertaking the whole process of doing that talk was about a year in the making there's all sorts of stages that they put you through for doing it and what i was talking about and it wasn't just me doing my ted talk it was a co-presented talk i i co-present it with a friend of mine chloe who has profound and multiple learning disabilities and we believe it's the only time somebody with Profound and Multiple Learning Disabilities has taken to that TED red circle. And although Chloe doesn't speak, she is absolutely half of what we presented because my words are twice as powerful for having her there. Uh, But we were talking about how when you argue for inclusion based on pity, when you're saying, oh, these these poor people, we should let them join in with us, that's only going to get you so far. And that actually, if you're arguing for inclusion based on what people get out of including you, then they're much more likely to be motivated to do it because it's in their own self-interest. And so in the talk, we presented a variety of examples of ways that society as a whole and individuals within society benefit from including people with a diverse range of needs and abilities um, obviously, there's no point in me saying all of this here because you can just click and watch the TED talk. Um, but we did, you mentioned that I spoke about sensory beings and linguistic beings. So that's just a, a phrasing that I use in my work, mostly because the term profound and multiple learning disabilities. Mm -hmm. well well, a couple of reasons really i i talk about my work a lot on social media so one of the things that i do is i tweet about the work that i do and my twitter handle is at joe three grace if anybody wants to come and find me um i i tweet about it and if you tweet you know this thing is for people with profound and multiple learning disabilities you're nearly out of tweet by the time you've finished you know writing it so Mm -hmm. i needed something shorter to say and also there's that thing of defining by deficit you know people like Chloe um are my friends and yet when I introduce them I'm talking about them and leading with a sort of medicalized term I don't do that with my other friends I don't go you know this is Bruce he's got irritable bowel syndrome and this is um Jemima she suffers from migraines so why when I talk about this group of friends am I leading with this slightly medicalized terminology so I was thinking I need something that's positive that's defining by ability and it's no surprises Uh, my work focuses on the sensory world so of course I'm particularly taken by people's sensory skills and abilities and what people like Chloe and others with profound and multiple learning disabilities have is an amazing capacity to attend to the sensory present to be in this moment and and Focusing their attention on that which is something that as a society as a whole We're actually all trying to get better at as you see all these people try and learn to be mindful to cope with their anxiety Actually that skill of paying attention to a sensory present is a brilliant one to have So I began calling them sensory beings because they are people who can just be in that sensory moment but the nice thing about giving that descriptor to them is that it also puts a descriptor on us as linguistic beings. So you'd be a linguistic being if you use um, language to experience and frame meaning, and you'd be a sensory being if your primary experience of the world and meaning within it was sensory. And those are just two different ways of viewing the world. There's not one right way and one wrong way or one better way and one worse way. They're just two different ways of seeing the world. And when I work with people who are sensory beings or people who have complex needs, my aim isn't to turn them into, you know, language based people like us. It's just to share a bit of this linguistic world with them. So one of the things that I do is sensory stories and they're so much fun but i also want to share a bit of their sensory world with them and i think that when i share a bit of their world and they share a bit of my world yeah. we all get more out of life than if yeah. we just try and squish everybody into one box
0: that's yes, really definitely. that's really really uh, meaningful um in relation to your work and and your tedx talk and 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 one of the one of the things that um i wanted to kind of draw attention to was um the way you described kind of making sure that inclusion is is seen as a a, a win-win situation for everyone involved um which kind of leads me on to my next question um what do you think can be done from a society standpoint to bring about better inclusion um joanne
2: yeah i think just to emphasize that point the idea in any situation whether you're talking about um physical abilities or cognitive skills or sexual orientation or gender or you know whatever difference you're talking about ideas of there being a norm that is correct Mm. are always going to be damaging to all of us because nobody is going to match up to that perfect norm and as we accept difference in other people we become more accepting of the differences within ourselves. And so a more diverse society is a society in which everybody is more enabled to be themselves. And the benefits that that would have for mental health alone justify, you know, why we would want to be more inclusive, even without doing the list of other things. But with regards to what we can do, um, (laughs) I mean, there's a million things, but to pick one, I am... One of the lead authors on a document called the core and essential service standards for supporting people with profound and multiple learning disabilities and Of all the work that I've done, and I've done some really exciting things, like the TED Talk and I've had books published, and oh, just you know adventures around the world. I was featured in a lush book that was given out in lush stores globally, and oh. that now means that I'm networked with people in Nepal and India and places in Europe where provision is re- you know all these exciting things happen to me, and then the core and essential service standards for supporting people with profound and multiple learning disabilities sounds like it would be the least exciting thing of them all because it's not a very thrilling title, (laughs) but actually, to me, that document, if we manage to pull that off, it will be the absolute best thing that I've been a part of. It's a really simple document and people can download it from my website which is just www.thesensoryprojects.co.uk, and there's a link to it on there. Or they can download it from the PMLD Link website, which is www.pmldlink.org.uk. And it is a document that describes what best practice care looks like for people with profound disabilities. It's really simple. It's just six bullet points for what it looks like at an organisational level and seven bullet points for what it looks like at an individual level. And there were four of us who led the writing of that document, but we managed to pull in, I think it was about 140 people in the end fed into the creation of it. And they were people from all walks of life, um, family members, professionals from every, you know, different job that you could possibly do. Loads of people who got unique insight into what life ought to be like for people with complex needs. And together, we made a decision whether we were gonna describe in that document what best practice looks like now or what it ought to look like and we went for what it ought to look like so it it is an aspirational document but when you say aspirational it makes it sound like it's some you know highfalutin (laughs) thing and and really some of the things are stuff like uh, a person's communication strategies should be respected and stuff like that shouldn't be aspirational it should be basic um, mm-hmm. So, what we want is for settings to be using it, to be looking at it and seeing. Just look at those, you know, six bullet points and think: Do we do this? And if you do, then give yourself a pat on the back and tell everybody that you do it. Because when you tell everybody that you do it, you create an expectation that other people will be for doing that. it too. Yes. And if you don't, then you know, try and up your game. Try and raise the bar. And and do it because those things should be happening. And I would love to see that document adopted as a legal document by the inspecting bodies, by CQC, by yeah. Ofsted. Because if that happened, then people would have to do what it describes, and that would change the face of care across the UK. And it would influence care globally. We have people downloading the standards from um, countries all over the world. So. We're, we're very optimistic and we run an event each year called raising the bar this year it's happening on the 25th of october at birmingham university and that event champions those standards in the Fantastic. hope that we will raise the bar with regards great. to what care looks like for them
1: great work, you great work. So, if there are if there is any cqc inspectors or anyone from ofsted listening to this <laughs> podcast right now please do do your research and follow up um so yeah so uh what did want to ask you so in that case how do you um how do you go about encouraging those with difficulties to explore, uh, maximise their potentials from an organisation uh, standpoint or an individual standpoint? How best do you, do you see that?
2: How do you encourage them to, I- to engage in them? Do you know, there's a really interesting question. In the projects, so I've run a number of sensory projects. I've run the sensory story project, which is ongoing an art project, which um, different iterations of it pop up every now and then. I run the Sensory Being Project, which is a design project and a sort of mindfulness project that runs every year. And and I did mean to stop at three projects, but another couple have happened since. So they've got out of hand. And every time when I run a project, it is to do with engaging people with complex disabilities in, in a story, in an art thing, in a design thing, whatever it is and it is never engaging them that is the hard part. Um, That's the simple bit because they're so able and so willing and so interested if given the opportunity. The hardest part has always been um, supporting the people who support them. So, for example, in the art project, Art is an amazing thing to be a part of. If you are part of a creative act, that's good for your well-being. It's good for your self-expression. It has all these gorgeous benefits. And guys with complex disabilities are creative agents. They have creative talents. The risk is that those talents will be overrun by the talents of somebody more able sat next to them who wants to help them. So you only get those benefits when you are the agent of, you you are the person doing the thing. You don't get those benefits when somebody does hand painting with your hands or when somebody moves the brush for you. And so the challenge for me has always been how to stop other people from doing stuff rather than how to um, enable people with complex needs to do stuff.
1: To be free and be um, creative and, you know, creative thinking, create and just, just try, yeah, yeah, most definitely
2: be themselves keep it natural
0: yeah fantastic I mean so, so so if you had a magic wand or an endless pile of cash what would be the changes that you'd make to vulnerable pe- vulnerable people's lives to make them more easier and more comfortable
2: no we need the endless pile of money don't we because yeah. <laughs> at the moment in a time of budget cuts we are seeing a lot of cuts that are very damaging and I think it's very easy to cut services for people who are non-verbal and for people whose families and the support staff around them are going to be already so busy and so tired that they're not going to be able to mount you know, an organised campaign against those cuts and and really, even if you mounted a campaign against those cuts, where are we getting the money from if the money yeah. just isn't there? So I'll absolutely take your endless pile of money because <laughs> can do a lot with that. I I think um, the other thing that I would want is people to have access to training. Because I think in a time when we have reduced budgets, people tend to buy things rather than knowledge. You know, if you are, if you're the service provider or if you're, you know, the boss of a care home, and you buy a thing, you Mm. buy a bubble tube, or you buy a fiber optic spray, or you buy a new computer, you can see what your money bought you. And you've got that thing, and you think that that thing is great. The trouble with those things is they don't do anything unless they're supported by facilitators who are knowledgeable. But when people buy knowledge, when they invest in training their staff, they can't see what they've bought and what they've bought exists in the heads of other people and it can walk off. It can go home, it can quit. And so it's very dangerous for them, but it's such a poor investment to buy stuff and not buy knowledge. If you've got the knowledge, all of my work is about sharing the knowledge and creativity that you need to use inexpensive items as effective sensory tools. So if you equip your staff with that knowledge, you won't need to buy the expensive stuff because they'll be able to do it with bits of tinfoil and torches that they bought in the pound store. Yeah. Whereas if you haven't got that knowledge, then you'll think that you need to invest in all these amazing bits of equipment, which, I mean, I have nothing against those amazing bits of equipment. If you've got all the money in the world, <laughs> have the knowledge and the amazing bits of equipment and just go to town. But yeah. If I was choosing one or the other, I would choose the knowledge every day.
1: Fantastic. Well, well yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Very knowledgeable. Well, that, well, that's going to be done uh, for, for today's episode five, and um, we've been lucky enough to hear about Joanna's personal experiences, and Joanna just want to say thank you so much for coming down and spending time for us, and if there's um, anybody out there, which I'm sure there's loads of people who want to hear Joanna's lovely TEDx, well, sorry, Joanna and Chloe Salfield's uh, lovely TEDx speak, please do go on YouTube and, um, and just put their name, um, we've got Joanna Grace and Chloe Salfield. T- um, Ted speak and you can hear all about them. Um, Joanna, is there anyone you'd want to mention or highlight who has helped you on the journey?
2: Oh, so many. The most important people are the people who backed my original Kickstarter project without whom the sensory projects would never have begun and so I owe a debt that is as big as my life to 129 people who backed that original project Fantastic. Um, and I would love for people to come and find out more. If you come to my website, the the sensoryprojects.co.uk. You can find links to all of my social media feeds. So on Twitter, I tweet bits of research, and on Facebook, I share sensory makes and conversations, and on